the level of tone for this entire film's dialogue was established within the first line, which is like, after I killed him, I washed my hands off in a Burger King, and I went back and <laughs> waited for their instructions. I knew this was going to be special. <laughs> he went he went to wash his fucking bloody hands off after killing somebody at a fucking Burger King, probably the most unsanitary place in order to fucking wash off your hands. When Ray says, stop wincing like a big gay baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so god. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we go back to 2008 as we visit the comedy crime drama In Bruges, which stars Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and Ray Fiennes. It's an inanimate fucking object. You're an inanimate fucking object! If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome back into Film Tank. This is episode 64, and today we're talking about... 2008 film in Bruges. I am Alex Diekman along with Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Hello. Hi. Hey guys. Hello. How's it going? It's going, going great. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> oh boy. Today we have a an older film. Now, boy, eight years old already. <laughs> yeah, it's now really, it's older. Well, yeah. It uh, wasn't older when it came out. When it came out, it was current. Thanks, like Nick. Yogi Berra. Wow. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Any, anytime. The film we're talking about is the 2008 film In Bruges, uh, which starred Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and also Ray Fiennes. Uh, the film was directed by Martin McDonoghue, who uh, has not done too much when it comes to film. Uh, he's done In Bruges and the film Seven Psychopaths. Um, and he's working on another new film now, but uh, apparently he has a, a history of being a playwright, which I don't know that much about, but Nick, you were just mentioning this to me, that he apparently is a very famous playwright. He's supposed to be like one of the greatest Irish playwrights currently working right hmm. now, so his whole like film is almost like a side project, uh, his film career, I mean. Cool. Yeah. Well, he's done good work. I've seen In Bruges uh, before we watched it for this episode, and I've also seen Seven Psychopaths. Even though I would prefer this film more, I think they're both pretty good works. So, yeah. Uh, before we get too deep into it, um, give you the plot outline. Uh, this film is about a guilt-stricken um, man after a job gone wrong and his partner as they await orders from their ruthless boss in Bruges, Belgium, the last place in the world that Ray, played by Colin Farrell, wants to be. What is it you've done, Raymond? Murder, father. Why did you murder someone, Raymond? For money. Who did you murder for money, Raymond? You, father. After I killed them, I walked home to await instructions. Get to Bruges. 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 Where's that? It's in Belgium. For two weeks, in fucking Bruges, in a room like this, with you? No way. Mr. Blakely? Yes? You have a message? Number one, why aren't you in when I fucking told you to be in? You better fucking be in when I fucking call again, or there'll be fucking hell to pay, I'm fucking telling you. He swears a lot, doesn't he? Let's go out. Go out where? The pub. Fish. An Uzi? I'm not from South Central Los Fucking Angeles. I want a normal gun for a normal person. Harry, I've got an idea. I'm going to go back to my room, jump into the canal, see if I can escape. If you go outside and round the corner, you can shoot at me from there and try and get me. I'll go outside, then which way, right or left? You go right, don't you? You can see it from the doorway. It's a big fucking canal. Okay, on the count of one, two, three, go. Who says it? Oh, you say it. You guys are crazy. One, two, three, go! Ray, you're about the worst tourist in the whole world. If 
if I'd grown up on a farm and was retarded, Bruges might impress me, but I didn't, so it doesn't. She ain't my girlfriend. She's a prostitute. I'm not aware of any prostitutes in Bruges. Just have to look in the right places. Brothels are good. Harry, let's face it. You've always been a cunt. The only thing that's going to change is you're going to become an even bigger cunt. Maybe you have some more cunt kids. You fucking retract that bit about my cunt fucking kids. I retract that bit about your cunt fucking kids. Insulting my fucking kids? That's going overboard, mate. I retracted it, didn't I? Maybe that's what hell is. The entire rest of eternity spent in Bruges. Back off, shorty. You don't know karate. Ah! If you guys don't mind, if I start off, please. Alex, I would be honored. You would be honored if I started. Yes. Okay. Uh, This was my second time viewing this film. The first came a couple years ago when I watched this with Nick. Uh, What's up? He suggested it to me. And I watched it since we were going to do this episode. I sat down with my wife, Emily, to watch this film. I thought, after remembering what I did about this film, that she would really enjoy it. And she did, because myself and her have the same sense of humor, which is kind of brought to the forefront in this film, even though there are a lot of themes going on here as well, which I think really makes this a great script. Um, And and that's the first thing I really want to say, is that I think this actually is a fantastic work of script writing um, by Martin McDonough here, as he puts on... This film that has a lot of callbacks, but they're not over-the-top Pirates of the Caribbean type shit that just everything has to come back in some way, shape, or form, even if it doesn't relate to the plot. Like, every little callback that is made relates to something that was said earlier in the film and has a purpose. And I, I really enjoy that about this film. And it's used in a tasteful and usually funny way, and it, it's it's great. And I think that's the ultimate thing that makes me like this film so much is that this is one of those movies that I feel like the more you watch it, the funnier it becomes, even if a lot of parts aren't meant to be funny at face value. Like, I think they are trying to be funny, even when it's not like a ha-ha moment, but I find myself laughing at many parts of this film, much like a film like Casino, that I laugh at almost every moment of it now. I'll laugh at small character traits, uh, even if it's not necessarily always trying to go for comedy. Nick, did you have like a retort for that? You're kind of like nodding and shaking your head. Not even shaking my head. I guess I would say I... When I watch this movie, I think of it as a comedy. And I, like, I do too, but there are quite a bit of moments of this film that I feel like aren't necessarily going for comedy at every turn. It's dark comedy. I, yeah, I, I, I say, know. It's, but... it's, it's a comedy you either find funny or you don't. Whereas I think something like Casino is what you're speaking to is that that's a movie I genuinely don't think is trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. Like it's not trying to be a dark comedy, mm-hmm. but can be funny when you view it in the lens of like like your familiar yeah. familiarity with these characters. But I, I, I do think this is like a, a, a comedy. So, and, and, and I do. And I guess I was kind of understanding my, my point of view on it of being that it's not that I don't think that this is a comedy because that, that's the first genre description of what this film is. It is a comedy. And there are yeah. a lot of moments of this film that are completely meant to be filled with humor but for me even the moments that aren't necessarily funny i find somewhat i get so you're saying just like in between the jokes mm-hmm. per se that some moments can be even elevated through repeat viewings once you get to know this, yeah, yeah that, that would probably be a better description and just characters and well the characters sure. is really what brings it out because yeah. brennan gleason is pretty much at this point always fantastic i can't even yeah. think of a film that i've seen him in that i wasn't a fan of it's his great work that they made a movie based on uh, Baltimore to Mad Eye Moody just running around. <laughs> yeah. Also, Baltimore's name is Harry. Yeah, <laughs> Ray Fiennes. <sighs> well, the you know he's and his purpose is to be the scene stealer early on, as he's this extremely vulgar, somewhat kind of like hitman leader. We don't really get a very clear description of exactly what Harry is, which is I kind of like. He's just yeah, a criminal head because he's only introduced and shown to us in relationship to the characters, mm-hmm. which is kind of this whole movie's MO, which is the relationships these characters have with each other and whatnot. Cause his, his only backstory is uh, 
what's his name, Brendan Gleeson's character's backstory, so to speak, yeah. as far as what matters. So, But when it comes down to it, this is a very funny film. It has a very interesting viewpoint also, too, on the idea of purgatory, which I, I really <laughs> got into. Yeah. And I actually... That's one of the things that was not a funny part of the film, but the very ending of this film, I feel like, is a very interesting takeaway as uh, the film, I don't want to say, like, ends ambiguously, but it ends with him going, uh, Colin Farrell, going into the ambulance. We do not know if he lives or dies or which would necessarily be worse or which he would deserve or, or that yeah. kind of thing. So there's a lot of religious aspects to this film. There's a lot of hilarious comedic aspects, and there's a lot of actually pretty good physical comedy in this film in terms of like things that are done with faces and nonverbal cues. Leave it fatso when he's like being chased around by the fat guy. And that's the the last thing I wanted to mention really quickly is there's a lot of horrible vulgar humor in this that oh, I was yes. way on board for. Wow. Very un PC. Yes. But it's like it the script itself, I would say, sets up these two characters to be the kind of characters who would say it. So it, I don't feel like I'm ever watching something where I'm laughing. They kill at people their for joke. their job. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't, this is, even though I like the film, this isn't Deadpool. Or right. Like, like I'm that. laughing because they're saying these in public and like they're somehow thinking that this is acceptable. And yet I also love the, the, the scripts I would say, uh, shall we say, spreading of this like worldview. Cause I mean, every time you think that they're the worst people, then all of a sudden the, uh, the dwarf will get drunk and get, go on a rant about blacks versus whites. And well, yeah. can, can, can I really quick yeah. before I pass it on, give my yeah. three lines from this film, other than the one amazing line delivery yep. from Ray Fiennes, which is the, you're an, you're an inanimate fucking object, which is just absolutely phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But the other three that I saved that I wanted to bring up, and I know we try to not just read lines this from This is films, one of those movies. But there were three that I like felt the need to write down, and I'm, I'm not going to try to do the, the, the voices, because I would do it horrible. Two of them are from Ray. Uh, one was, if I grew up on a farm and was retarded, then Bruges might impress me. The other was one when Ray says, stop wincing like a big gay baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my so God. And, oh. and I think my favorite came from Ray Fine's character when he says, I do want him dead. I want him crucified. That doesn't change the fact that he stitched you up like a little gay boy. <laughs> <laughs> just the way that they say these things in this film are just absolutely phenomenal, and it, I'm, a, I'm a fan. <laughs> you know what's funny is that these insults, and maybe this is just my cynical view on a certain what I'm about to say, but uh, like this is like the most Catholic movie ever made. I think. <laughs> and even like those insults feel like an extension of that. Usually unspoken, shall we say, yeah. like uh, bigotry. Uh, but what could be the greatest, a, a greater insult within like the Catholic religion, religion than to lambast them as being gay? Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, but but even there, like I I, I love uh, uh, Colin Farrell's uh, like he. There, there's the one scene when they first go to the the, the bar, and um, he 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 brings the beers to their table, and he's like, one gay beer for my gay friend, and one normal beer for me. But later on in the movie, he also... That's heteronormative. Yeah, but later on in the movie, and you can see how this is why like he's ultimately a sympathetic character, not necessarily for every action he does or for everything he says, but later on in the movie, he orders he for himself, oh, I'll have one gay beer, please. Like, like it's still, like I don't know, it's just his rules and his whatever... Just completely kind of wash away at whatever given moment because yeah. he doesn't really mean half the shit he says. He just won't shut the fuck up long enough for it to actually matter. And I, I like the interaction that Ray has with the uh, the American dwarf throughout this film. Uh, mainly the part where he says something like, "Oh, that's a that's a that's a pretty hot girl you got there." Or, oh no, that's a pretty hot prostitute I have, or something like like yeah. it's it's some it's like, Well, you picked a very pretty prostitute. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and and then she has the line too, like re retorting on uh, Ray's comment towards her, where she says something to the tune of, "Well, I came to Belgium because they pay more for pussy or something." Yeah, like yeah that. it's like I like, probably get more more money for my pussy heroes, and he just like looks dumb. <laughs> yeah. It switches it switches from looking at them to like looking at like like his, his blank face is like he's he's like dumbfounded, like. What the fuck is going on? That also, that exact same frame for the most part includes uh, my favorite part of non-vocal comedy from this film. When Brendan Gleeson walks up after going to the bathroom to do coke 
and he just makes these ridiculous looks on his face for some reason. Just like just the framing of Colin Farrell <laughs> in the center and Brendan Gleeson over his shoulder as they stare at the drawer <laughs> is one of the funniest non-verbal like jokes I've seen in any movie. Uh, this movie especially. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I'll start. Go ahead, man. I this is a movie like you said. I showed it to you a couple years ago. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. So I'm mm. pretty much have nothing bad against to say it. Not that if somebody else had something bad to say. That's totally their valid opinion, whatever. Yeah. But this is one of those rare instances where I'm going to do nothing but praise the movie because uh, I think this movie is amazing. I think it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. I think somehow it has this streak of, of irreverent humor and yet somehow also has one of the most like dramatic weight uh, attached to these characters. Like, I can't imagine that somebody was able to truly write a script that has lines like the, uh, uh, God, what's his name's, uh, analogy of the retarded black girl. Oh, it's like, yeah, it's like, it, it's kind of like, like, like you're, you're a, a fucking retarded fucking black woman on a seesaw, <laughs> like going up and down. And the other side is like sitting in a, a, a dwarf. Yeah. I can't like I can't imagine the script writing it takes to somehow have that line in a movie that I also deeply feel on a on an emotional level like the How fact they that do these, it? that these can coexist so I think well is just a testament to the to the script uh, and you have a, a film that has for the most part no fear you talk about being on PC. How about uh, not only a child getting murdered, but getting shot through the head? I yeah. mean, boy, yeah. that is something you really just don't see. In. And then you and, look at the list of his sins, and he's being bad at maths, and I was like, oh. Being moody. Being moody. Yeah, which yeah. was a great little uh, tie-in to uh, No, I, I was going to say, uh, oh. <laughs> oh, you. I was, was going to say. It fell on his leg because he was house. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I know you love that stuff, man. Right? I was going to say because uh, Ray <laughs> chastises. Uh, was it? I always forget Colin Farrell's character's name. Ken. Ray. Ray. No, yeah. he's Ray. Ken, Brennan okay, Gleason yeah. is Ken. I'm yeah. sorry. When Ken chastises Ray about being a moody five-year-old boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I, I absolutely love this movie. Um, I think even beyond those two things, some brief things I'll mention is that I think the. Carter Burwell's score to this is uh, phenomenal. It's like I usually don't recognize scores as easily as some other people do when you like watch movies. Like, sure, if it's like John Williams for Star Wars or something, whatever. But this, this piano, uh, especially the prologue song, which is has that fairy tale, uh, you know, uh, sound to it. Uh, I think it's phenomenal and just works so well as a backdrop to this extremely adult tale of like crazy coincidences and yet self-fulfilling prophecies and whatnot. Uh, I just think it's, that part is fantastic. Also, uh, one of my favorite uses of music in any movie is absolutely uh, the Dubliners on Raglan Road, which plays over Ken, Brendan Gleeson's character, walking up the stairs of a tower to throw himself over. Uh, that Irish ballad that plays during that scene is one of the most moving marriages of sound and, uh, and image I've ever seen. Uh, which is also, we're going to talk about that scene, I think, later, because I'm not going to bring that up yet. But uh, this movie just has everything that I want in a movie, which is to laugh, to, like, feel uncomfortable, <laughs> uh, to, like, empathize with a hard-to-sell character. Because, like, on the surface, like, <clears throat> excuse me, on the surface... If you explain this movie to people, like, well, yeah, it's about a man who kills people for a living, and he uh, he shot a child, so he's repenting for his sins. So, but he doesn't speak. like that's a that's the repent, other. But no, I was going to say that's the other kind of weird thing about uh, Ray is because he doesn't really kill people for a living because that was his first job, was it? That's, not? Yes, that's that's, so that's true. A, so it's a little weird wrinkle into this. Where yes, there's a lot of wrinkles that go throughout the film, right? But just that act because uh, yeah. most people can't really stomach that to begin with no matter what the context is or whatever. So, well, you know, sometimes you got to just keep to your principles. So. so Ken was just sort of like shadowing Ray on his first job, and that's why he was there on the scene, and that's why he yeah. like dragged him all the way. Yeah, and it explains so much, too, as far as why um, uh, he, you know, Brendan Gleeson's character even, like, has, I think, that much sympathy for him, too, as far as, like, why he feels like he needs to be let go instead of killed, because he, like... 
uh, Brennan Gleeson has a debt he still has to pay back to Harry, so to speak, which informs why he's still loyal to him. But, you know, I, I just, I love that, like, when it all comes ahead in that third act, because there are so many moves on the chessboard that this movie makes when you can't even see the hand moving them. And then you realize at that final act when they go up to the tower of how everything is in its right place uh, to kickstart this crazy uh, third act, like including the, um, you know, with Flora Delacour's boyfriend, uh, um, what's his name, Eric or something? Yeah. Like him being there and him being the one to see them and to go up there, you know, like just all those moments had to happen at that perfect moment and like it's good script writing that none of it feels contrived it feels like this is the ending we've been going towards from the very moment that this this movie started and also too you have a uh i mean we talked about too about this film being not pc and i already mentioned the part of of the kid being shot in the head which again we don't see it but uh Pretty much like a film, no no is killing kids. We don't see film. it, but we see the hole in it. Yes. Like, which that's... is pretty. Like, even if you don't see the whatever, like, that's an, like a startling image you don't and normally see. See either. a startling image, and I, I know that technically with self defense, but you have Colin Farrell just completely dropping a woman. That. <laughs> When, she had a bottle, man. She could have killed him with that bottle. Oh god, yeah. that yeah. the escalation of that dinner scene is so fantastic because yeah. when he like it's like once you start that scene, you're like oh like or when he like not starts the scene, but when the guy is getting pissed off, you're like oh at some point Colin Farrell's gonna kick that guy's ass. But I just love like even funnier, and even though that's horrible to say, than <laughs> him decking that woman is the quick cut to her having that bottle because she is like such a non-entity in that scene. Bottle. And, and, and just for her to all of a sudden like be that quick to whatever, that's just one of my favorite like visual gags in the movie. It's just, and that's, that's the thing that this movie does so well, I think is that it just, every time you think you know where it's going for the first time you've seen it, at least it, it will just try to do the most like kind of, subversive and un-PC thing that you didn't see coming. And, uh, but it's yeah. also adequately te- telegraphed with yeah. like, the actual tightness of that actual yeah. script. Because then you'll realize like with that bottle, like that was already set up kind they, of... They just had this whole like sideline like, gag between when Ken and Ray where they're just like talking about like some Chinese lollipop man like doing karate. What whether he fucking he's... doing knowing karate? Yeah, exactly. It's like using a bottle and like how... Um, ultimately, Ken feels he's not a Chinese lollipop man. He's just a lollipop man that used a bottle and like Ken killed him. He feels bad about it. It haunts him. So yeah. yeah. And then the final thing I'll say before I pass it off to San is that uh, putting aside the comedy and the drama, I also love this movie on a spiritual level. Like mm-hmm. it might be one of my favorite movies about faith that isn't explicitly about faith. And I know that sounds weird to say about a movie that is clearly having religious imagery and mm-hmm. conversation, but it's not like this is your typical like character struggles with his belief in God. I was going like, to say, it's not like this is um, this Cal- like Calvary. Yeah. Yes, it's not like that, which is actually a fantastic film, and I believe written and directed by, by his brother, right? Martin, yeah. yeah, McDonald's brother, who also had involvement with these movies. I don't know if he was a producer or a scriptwriter or yeah, something. But, but that's pretty much exactly the opposite of what that film is. Yes, like that's a movie that's about faith. and uh, But this movie is one of my favorite movies about faith that isn't explicitly about that. And I and I love that because that's kind of a lot of people's, like, battle with faith. Like, you know, it's like it, you don't have to be a religious person to grapple with the, the, the existential weight that can, you know, weigh down on you and that can challenge your beliefs and, and like, that fear that whatever you do believe in, if it's wrong then you're fucked and, you know, that th- those kind of fears and whatnot. So, yeah, just the whole, you know, imagery of them possibly being in purgatory and whatnot, which, by the way, you know, you were saying the ending's ambiguous, which I agree with. I-, I like to imagine, and I don't think this is really my reading of it, but it always cracks me up to imagine that, like, he, like, dies in that moment, like, after, you mm-hmm. know, the credits. And then he wakes up back in Bruges just to, like, repeat this, like, groundhog. <laughs> so, but I think anyway. that's that's... That might actually be a, be a very uh, on point like reading of Purgatory is just yeah. like li- like living the same kind of mundane existence that's kind of like spiked with like a, the occasional most euphoric and most like spiritually defeating moments as like seeing your mentor, your friend dying, or just like going on a date and falling in love with a beautiful woman. And it's just like yeah. I can I can totally see like I I, I 
I, 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 I echo that sentiment. I yeah. think that's that's a pretty good reading of it. Um, yeah, I didn't know a lot about this film before going into it. I knew it was about like two assassins. Um, I I think I had actually had seen that scene with the uh, the the racist midget uh, and and the prostitute before on a they video, like to be called dwarfs uh, dwarf <laughs> on on Reddit uh, like ages ago and I just so, sort of forgot about it and like as soon as I saw that scene I was like oh I've already seen this before oh now it's a lot better in context <laughs> um, it is it is it, it's it's a wonderfully tightly woven like written script it's 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 wonderful characters I think that that Colin Farrell's <laughs> I'm uh, sorry yeah what's up I'm sorry. just what he said. He brings up like every race, man. Who are the who are the the Asian, the blacks? Yeah, the blacks, <laughs> the Vietnamese. I was like the blacks, and I was like, well, fuck, I'm gonna be on their team then. I can't even imagine watching that scene not in context yeah. and how fucking ridiculous that would be. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's it's absolutely nuts. Like there's there's so many jokes um, that I didn't feel guilty laughing at simply for the fact that I knew that these characters were not portrayed as though they're sympathetic, but they're not. They're not portrayed in a way that it, it – it, as, as, as though they are right for saying these things, as though this is the, the, the natural order of things. Like, no, they're just really crass fucking assholes who happen to live in, in the one occupation that allows for that sort of temperament, which is fucking killing people. Yeah. Like, if you're, if you're more offended by them saying, like, like jokes at, at the expense of dwarves and of, like, like – at dwarves and black women and 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 gay people and mentally challenged and gay people and not offended at the fact that it's like oh well they just also happen to kill people I'm just like I think killing people sort of precludes them being that fucking offensive I'm just like I'm not saying that it's it's okay but like I I could expect that from from people whose job is to fucking kill people I thought that Colin Farrell is just the most miserable fuck at the beginning um. I, th- I think the entire mood of this being a dark comedy for the 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 level of of the the level of tone for this entire film's like dialogue was established within the first line, which is like after I killed my washed my hands off in a Burger King and I went back and, and waited for further instructions. I was like, I knew this was going to be special. He went he went to wash his fucking bloody hands off after killing somebody at a fucking Burger King, probably the most unsanitary place in order to fucking wash off your hands. Um. Uh, something really quickly I wanted to mention too, and I just lost it. I'm sorry. Go That's okay. That. Um, I, Good job. I, I, I thought that Colin Farrell, like, I, again, I'm just like, I'm just praising this guy over and over again. Cause I thought that he really he's fantastic. Fit, he was, mm-hmm. He's fantastic in this role. I couldn't imagine like somebody else doing, it. I thought Ray Fiennes, I, I was, I was a little curious about like the whole conversation between him, like between Ray Fiennes character, Harry and, um, Ken, like when they when they on the phone the first time they talked that on was the, fantastic the first time the they talked on the phone it's like why why wouldn't you like it I thought it was a fucking fairy tale I wanted to give him a fucking that, fairy tale who was who was that on the phone because that didn't sound like Ray Fiennes it was him oh it's him it was him yeah. oh yeah it's him. okay the, really quickly I wanted to mention about uh, that specifically that mm-hmm. phone conversation which is actually I think one of my like pretty close to my favorite if not my favorite part of the film mm-hmm. I love that. It's just because the idea of one person having a seeing them and then hearing another conversation and it goes on for like four or five minutes. It's mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah. This idea um of oh well, you know, I just wanted to have him be in a nice place that was nice he was before a good he died kid. in Bruges, you he, know. He, he didn't say it. he didn't say he he died, he said he was a good kid. Yeah, but he talked about him in the past tense while he's present. Yeah. So, yeah. But it, just this idea of, of him like kind of saying that. Well, you've already seen previously in the film how he's miserable being in Bruce. It's just, yeah, man, yeah. it's great. That and also the line of uh, how he's, he attributes uh, Ray saying that it's like he's in a dream and he can't wait or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, it's I love how if, it's if, like it's such bullshit and yet it also might be that it, it it reminds me of a line in Inside Lewin Davis when uh, Lewin has to say, or when the person over the phone said Lewin is the cat, and it's just another example of like how you know these face to face modes of communication can completely twist meanings and like things that are both meaningless and yet. Well, Lewin <laughs> was the cat, like physically. <laughs> Sorry, you said it. If <laughs> if Harry had known that um, that Ray was not pleased with being Bruges, I. And being in Bruges, I believe that Harry, out out of out of 
he, he, it was sort of an olive branch on his part to like kind of like share this very personal place with him that he thought was magical and awesome. And for him to know that Ray did not like it, I think that he would have just killed Ray, not because of the kid, but probably killed him out of the personal insult that he felt for having his personal like away and off off place being insulted by this insolent little kid who like pretty much already fucked his life up for having like fucked up his first job. Um, I thought that. Um, Ray's uh, sort of pseudo girlfriend, played by Floor Delore, Floor Delacour, Floor Delacour. Sorry, Floor Delore, Floor Delore, yeah, Floor Delore. The, the, the girl who plays Floor in the I Harry Potter films. Oh, okay, yeah, I thought that that's she, not actually her real name. Whatever, I thought that she was. <laughs> whatever, I thought, I thought that she was great, and I thought that the scene where they're actually on their date and they're kind of like trading this sort of facetious repartee about like what they do for work was probably one of the most cringe-inducing moments of the entire film for me, and it was like. One of the, 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 the gravity centers for me where it's just like, so, Ray, what do you do for work? It's like, I shoot people. And I'm just like, really? It's like, who do you shoot? And it's like, I shoot priests and I shoot children. And it's like, really? Is there any money in that? It's like, well, there's money in priests but not in children. And then it goes back to her and it's just like, so what do you do? It's like, I sell drugs to uh, to film crews. And you and you don't – you know that Ray's bullshitting but you're not really sure if she's bullshitting but she's probably bullshitting. No, they're, they're, they're both telling the, the truth. I know they're both telling the truth, but they're oh. both kind of like bullshitting with one another and kind of like playing off like it's a joke. Right, right. And then she's be like, it's like, do I look like the kind of person that would shoot people? It's like, no, probably only children. I was like, oh, oh by the way, God her name, damn. Her name in real life is Clemence Posey. Clemence Posey, or, or yeah. Or Posey, I don't yeah. know. But... Posey. Pose. She she was she was very good in this film. I, I really enjoyed her mannerisms, her whole like demeanor and tone. I thought that it was a very <laughs> she was very right for Ray's character. She seemed like she she really like fit his his personality type. Um, yeah, I I I I absolutely love this film. I thought that it was it was great. I I really want to watch it over again like as soon as we're done with this episode because it was just so goddamn good. It's on Netflix, so it's there yeah. for you. I know. <laughs> I gotta say, like, as far as just little things in the script uh, that I absolutely love, and just how information is doled out to the audience, because we don't know about the child until about 20, 25 minutes in, and yet it feels like the right moment to actually tell about the the child. Like, there's something about that that, like, that could have been something that I think an American screenwriter would have, like... probably let out of the bag much later for like a twist sake but just this continued evolution of like what we think we know about these characters continues to change and not in a twisty sort of way but just in our our scope and our perspective is expanded throughout the entire film and i I love that kind of storytelling I i would agree i mean i think learning about that at the precise moment we do somewhat changes obviously how you feel about the character going forward from that moment on but like even if you like started the film off with that, and I know that probably would never never been the first like very first scene of the film, but like let's just say that that gets revealed in, like the first ten minutes or something like that, like you're already thinking about only that where you have previous knowledge about the character of Ray and being that put in like thirty to thirty five minutes in, and yeah, if it was like a late film twist after seeing the entire, like it just would have not made sense with this film. No, the way it is. what it does by not coming in until the moment it does for me, at least is that it gives us a good 20 minutes to do two things, which is a, to get to know the characters, which I think is crucial because I think it's important to get to know them before you see this moment in time. But also what I really like about, and probably my favorite reason as to why it comes when it does is that it completely drops the viewer into the sick mindset on what is happening in Bruce, because both of them are pretending like something didn't happen all the way up until that moment because they do start to somewhat talk about it almost immediately after but up until that moment it's it's, we're like them in the sense that we're in this shithole bruise with them and you know we're not quite sure why we have to be here or whatever and it's finally the moment they start to really finally have a moment to themselves and quiet is also when we get privy to what their mind is unfortunately uh, enraptured by. So I just love the placement of that. Um, Even little things like the... um, Excuse me. Even little things like the moment in which uh, after after Colin Farrell uh, decks the woman in the restaurant when he's uh, pleading to uh, 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 what's her name in the movie? Clemenza. 
That's her real name, isn't it? I know, but I forget what her... I couldn't tell you. Anyway. I would never dick a woman like that. Floor. She came in with a bottle. Yeah. Floor is what she'll be. Floor Delacour's uh, character is talking to him, and she says she has to make a call. Like, that's such an innocuous line, and yet it doesn't call attention to himself. So when you watch it, at least for me at least, like, um, I don't go, oh, I wonder who she called. And yet later on in the movie, we do know who she called. Yeah. I love how no moment in this movie is wasted at all, and, like, things that aren't important at in the immediate sense, become important the more, and that and that's and that's true on a character level as well. So yeah, I, I, that's true about a lot of really good films with good scripts. Is that there are not wasted moments, and there's not necessarily filler in there. Like I'm sure there is some dialogue in this film, as there is in every single film, that is just there because there needs to be. But for the most part, everything was thought out in a really well put together way, which happens to happen with films that are written by a good writers and b people who want to actually make good films and not just make things that are going to bring people to the theater or something like that even the uh the movie set that they stumble onto with (laughs) where they first meet the dwarf and uh floor delacour's character Um, even that scene in which uh, she kind of says that it's a, not a pastiche but a homage to uh, Don't Look Now which is a great movie by the way if anybody's never seen it uh, as someone who's seen that movie and who knows that finale uh, that is actually uh, let's just say the locale of Bruges uh, is very similar as to where the climax of uh, Don't Look Now takes place and having a tour in that role is also somewhat pertinent to that movie. So I, I do like the meta-textual reference as to like a counterpoint of, like, you kind of know everything you need to know about that movie if you've seen Don't Look Now. And it, it doesn't ruin your enjoyment if you don't, but it just has that added layer of, like, telling the audience exactly what they need to know without having to spell it out. So in terms of what you're saying about telling the audience what they need to know without spelling it out, there are... Two things that in this film that, for me, have been kind of things that I've, I've thought about, which are, A, the very finale, which we've already mentioned a little bit about it possibly being him continuing to be in purgatory or, or moving on to hell, whatever you want to call it. So what are you guys' feelings on that part of it? And about this idea of the dwarf being a stand-in for a child in, the, in this film, which is kind of a weird aspect of this film what's your what's your read on that part of it because that's the second time still the uh, it's, it's weird because it's tripping me up a little bit but i'm not sure why it's tripping me up i never really saw the i i personally never really saw the dwarf as a stand-in for a child i just thought the dwarf whoa, was incidental whoa, and... what do you mean because it's, it's like quite literally a plot point that harry thinks as a child and before, uh, what is it, Ray? I always mm-hmm. switch up their names. Yeah. Uh, before Ray can actually explain that it's not a child, he ends up shooting himself because it goes back to his principle, which is that if you kill a kid, you have to, you you can't live with yourself. Okay. Yeah. I I just I I I, I just sort of just like saw it as 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 a, as a dwarf that happened to be like this this surreal element in a, an otherwise like straight film. It's like yeah. I, I don't know. It's like. So do you, maybe just, that just like that, that just sailed over my head. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. I was yeah. just like wondering. It's like the ending. Why do you think Harry kills himself? Not even necessarily why he kills himself. Or are you? You're just asking him. This yeah, I'm asking. Oh, okay, just because yeah, I'm yeah. just curious as to what you would read into that moment if I, not for that. I don't really oh, know. I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I for me at least, I think that that moment is. I could I could see somebody's opinion of it being quote unquote far fetched. For me, it's not like not far fetched, but like almost larger than life in 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 the context of this story. Um, however, I I I love it for two reasons, and I have no problems with it for these two reasons, which is that a I love the idea that it happens on a movie set, which I think metatextually contextualizes this mm-hmm. and says it's just a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that's mm-hmm. a sly yeah. little joke uh, just yeah. for as far as how it happens and, and where it happens. Uh, Life's a stage. Yeah. And I love the, the other reason is that 
the first time I saw this uh, movie, and I genuinely, it was one of the few times where I didn't spoil myself on anything. Like, I didn't even know the setup as far as that, you know, he had killed the kid. In the, so everything in this movie was a shock for me. Yeah. When, when we got to that scene, when I first watched this, in my head, I'm like, holy shit, he's going to think that that's a child and he's going to somehow shoot him because he's dressed up like a child. Mm-hmm. And, and I, So because the movie innately went where I already was, like, hoping it was going to go, it was kind of like... I don't want to call it destiny, but like it was sealed that I was never going to have a problem with it because my brain went there first. But if, if that doesn't happen for a viewer, I can see where it can kind of seem a little, I, I don't even want to say far-fetched, but just I far-fetched. I guess uh, my, my biggest thing is, is, is there any sort of deeper meaning to it than just him being mistaken for a child? I, no, I no, I don't think okay. so because okay. for me, it, it it all comes back to the idea that what we're watching is an adult fairy tale, and fairy tales have simplistic but usually, uh, shall we say, well, ironic endings, and so. Because it had always put forth the idea that we were watching an adult fairy tale, which I think is backed up by the score, by the the even the conversation that they have, which is that Bruges is a fucking fairy tale, you know. Uh, I, I thought that the groundwork was already laid thematically okay. for it to happen with no real qualms from me. And what about the 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 finale then too? As I, I mentioned a little bit before, like what what are your what are your feelings on that? Like the the idea of it being possibly being purgatory, and, and it's pretty. You already said you, you thought the same thing about it being quite ambiguous about how it actually goes on for Ray and whatever. Like, do you, do you think that it's trying to say some greater religious aspect about this film or it just happens to be tying into earlier subject matter? I do think the final scene, which is, is the ambulance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do think that there is there's two things that come out of that scene for me, which is that for me, like I think it's ambiguous, but yeah. for me, I think it confirms that this is reality because uh, I feel like there would have been something else in lieu of an ambulance. Like an ambulance is too stark of an image of, that's rooted in a in a real plausibility. Yeah, yeah, that for me, I, I don't take that as this is my like, my interpretation of it. So like that's where my outcome of it actually being that Bruges was real the whole time, and it's only a stand-in for purgatory, so to speak. But thematically, an ambulance is another. Shall we say, if we're just incepting this idea. <laughs> is a smaller version of what Bruges was to him just prior to him getting into the ambulance, which is an ambulance is purgatory. It is where you are quite literally being delivered to a place that will either be your death or your life. You'll either walk out of that hospital or you won't. So I love the idea that this story just gets even shrunk down into a smaller scale of this purgatory hell thematically. But I think it's all real from my personal vantage point. Yeah, I, I... I agree. I think that that Bruges is definitely real. It's like I'm just, I'm I'm just really kind of taken aback for the simple fact that I really didn't read into this being a adult fairy tale. But you just like saying that it's like even the the the, the movie itself just like tells me that it's like it's like a fucking fairy tale. I thought it was it was more played like for for comedic effect but taking it literally and just like yeah it is sort of a fucking fairy tale because it's just like this guy being dumped into like this just this tepid like like little little off and away place that's supposed to be all all it's supposed to be enchanting and it is sort of enchanting to him not not like off the cuff like not not immediately but eventually when he meets this girl and like he meets the fucking dwarf and like Oh my god, this is an adult fairy tale. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, god, the uh one of, I think the hardest I laugh honestly in this movie is when um toward the end when uh, it, uh Ray and her are at like the table in that final act and mm-hmm. whatnot. Yeah. And uh, the dwarf finds them and he's dressed up in the schoolboy costume. Yeah. And <laughs> somebody cuts back to him and he's asking uh, or uh, Ray is asking him to like forgive him for karate chopping <laughs> uh, yeah. earlier the other night or whatever, and I just love the dwarf's reaction, which is like him getting mad and him being like, "Well, you know, I would accept your apology and your forgiveness if you guys weren't laughing straight in my fucking face." And I love when it comes back to them; they're still cracking up. Like yeah. it's it's so bad, but you're just like them because you can't help but laugh. Yeah, that, that was the moment, and that's that the scene that involves the drugs, the the dwarf, the prostitute, and 
and Brendan Gleeson just kind of giving up on everything, just being like, ah, fuck it. Uh, That scene is totally just off the wall, and that was when Emily and my wife really got into the film, especially at the end of that scene, because the karate chop is just so ridiculous. And the way he falls and just, like, lays on the ground and kicks his little legs, I... (laughs) It's that yeah that whole scene is probably a microcosm for how this movie balances comedy and drama because it's one of the funniest scenes in the entire movie mm-hmm. between that karate chop uh, uh sadly that rant that mm-hmm. the dwarf goes on about blacks versus I, I I I actually love the one of the resolutions of that entire rant from from actual from Ken when he's talking he's like well first off like I'm going to have to like ask you about this like my wife was black, and I loved her very much, and she was killed by a white man. So where exactly am I supposed to sit in this, in, in the stage of this entire thing? And the dwarf doesn't really have an answer. He's like, hey, man, you just got to search your own feelings or some other shit. It's like, because he totally, he, he totally makes him have to confront with the absurdity of the fact that he creates this, like, this, this, this literal black and white dichotomy of like, how the world is supposed to work. And just realizes like, no people human beings are more complex than you give them credit for and i think and it's like how does your 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 worldview actually like fit into that and you can't do anything of that exactly and i think that's exactly what i was speaking about earlier where i said like the, that the movie expands the scope of the audience's perception of who these characters are in instances that they're not expecting like when they come and yet it's completely organic when it does happen even if it's because a dwarf overdosed on cocaine and is going crazy you know yeah. <laughs> um one thing i do want to talk about is the the ending not the ending we already talked about but the tower mm-hmm. um Besides, I mentioned earlier that like the the audio and the image together is just one of my favorite things ever just shot. But I also love that scene for because it's one of the most I, I don't want to say selfless acts I've ever seen in cinema because that's not the, quite the right word. But it's it sounds weird to say, but it's one of the most touching things I've ever seen in a movie. He literally threw himself off a building to warn his friend that yeah. like he was about and to, to die. send the gun down too. Yeah, um, uh, and. For him to do and that. Also, too, we talked about really good callbacks that are throughout this film. They have the the entire uh, part where uh, Brendan Gleeson is miffed about uh, Ray committing suicide earlier in the film, mm-hmm. and even though he's been, but it's okay for you to kill me. Well, it, no, but yeah, well, but when you have Brendan Gleeson's character, and no matter what you want to say about him being shot or whatever. Like he jumps off yeah. of the It's top a choice of the he makes, yeah. which is ultimately what suicide is. I love for, like I said, is this might be the most Catholic movie I've ever seen. <laughs> that, like, this is the ultimate sin that usually I think purgatory is always brought up. Like, mm-hmm. because a lot of people will ask about suicide as well. If it's a mortal sin, aren't you going straight to hell? Well, no, because you go to purgatory or whatever. So, just to kind of tie back to the kind of joke I made about how, like, this Imbruge movie might just be this Groundhog Day of purgatory, like, this is actually one of the only scenes where I think that actually could be a valid reading of this, where because he's going to do this, like, it, it's the ultimate sin in the Catholic book. And so for a movie that's so built up on the idea of guilt and sin, like I love that he essentially commits this mortal sin to repent for some of his other sins. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's just so fucked up, and it's such a rabbit hole. But that's why it's like an adult fairy tale. It's like right. it, it has all the contradictions of an, an adult fairy tale would have. I, yeah, it's just... no. That scene is is great. I mean. Uh, that that was something that I, I wanted to mention. It is kind of funny because it is mentioned multiple times by Ray Fiennes about how beautiful Bruges is or whatever. But actually seeing a great physical landscape and 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 the look of of that town at nighttime throughout this film as we get the the beautiful scenery with the lights and the people standing at the outside bars drinking pints of of, of uh, cold beverages. Um, it it just looked like somewhere I'd want to be, which oh, yeah. is uh, very awesome. And then and the uh, the idea of the of the bell tower um, and and sort of that walk up there, like I feel like being to um, like St Paul's Cathedral in London or uh, walking up the crickety shitty stairs of the Notre Dame in it's Paris. What? It's windy. 
I was going to say windy. Um, I was going to say just walking up those circular stairs in the small area. And there's actually a joke that's paid off of that because really it is not made for fat people. And there's two fat Americans who get made fun of. And then Brendan Gleeson comes out and be like, I, I don't know if you're going to. And then gonna... later on in the movie, they mentioned that Americans had a heart attack up in the bell tower. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. He was just trying to be well-meaning. And then he's like, fuck you. You're just the rudest man. But it, it it's just that, that visual and knowing actually how long it takes to go up those circular stairs to the top of a bell tower, which it kind of pays off one of the more ridiculous things is they keep showing Brie Fines walking down and it almost gets comical at the end because they're like, wait a minute, he was already dead, now he's whatever. But like it, it is just a like defining moment of, the, of this film and that song playing behind it is actually quite good, as you mentioned already, Nick. But yeah, that moment was great. The moment with him and Ray Fiennes on top of the bell tower was also good because yeah. it's a very kind of weird moment where he's pretty much saying, I don't give a shit anymore. And if you want to kill me, that's fine. But I just stood up for what I believe in, which is the first time probably in a long time they've ever done that. And he's like, yeah, whatever. I, I can't kill you. But then he shoots him in the leg. Yeah. Was, what do you think? I'm not going to shoot you yeah. or something? Yeah. It seemed like they were they were willing to like let bygones be bygones from that. I was like that was pretty, that was kind they of they were like after he made him he's pay helping him for down it. The stairs. Yes, exactly. he's helping him. But then because uh, Eric intervenes, uh, so to speak, when mm-hmm. he goes up there and tells him who's down there. And all right, the paradigm has shifted. I gotta kill this kid. He's like nope, can't do it. Let you do that. Can I, can I say too? Also, um, there are opposite ends of the spectrum, which is Quentin Tarantino headshot kills. And there are people who try to make it look realistic with, oh, look, just a, like a little small stab where the bullet goes through. It's really on the back end with everything. Like, that was one of the better shooting film shots that I can remember in quite a while. Because not only does it look somewhat realistic, it also looks good in film, which I feel like... So many people have gotten away from of just doing what looks right at the cinema and trying to either be too realistic or be too ridiculous with it. Like that was just a good looking shooting in a in a film. And I I, I don't know if that's something you should be obsessed with, but I, I am with things like that. Like Michael Mann gunshot sounds. Like I, I just love the way I don't care if it's not how it actually sounds. Like I want it to sound like it would in a film that I'm enjoying. So. Well, not only that, but it's a movie about two hitmen trying to grapple with the severity of the violence that they just perpetrated. So if the violence was some kind of cartoonish violence, then it I'd probably still the enjoy it like as a comedy, but it, the, the emotional heart of it wouldn't, wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, I got to say, earlier we were talking about how like Bruges is kind of a place we would want to go, and I think that's actually intentional in the sense that it is so gorgeously photographed and even if it wasn't, like it still looks like a great place or whatever. And I think that's on purpose. I think that Bruges is a character much like Ray and Ken, which is like they spend the entire well, not both of them, but like Ray uh, spends the entire movie calling Bruges a shithole, you know, and because he has all this self-loathing for himself, no matter how good of a person he may or may not be. Obviously, someone could hate Ray for valid reasons, but like it, it, it's just what's on the surface is the only thing he can see, and for him, that's you know what just happened uh, before they went to Bruges, and so I love how Bruges is essentially that's why it's his purgatory because it's like all this beauty around that he can't appreciate because of what's you know sticking in his head. Yeah. Um, going back to the the whole tower and the the comedy of of the Americans like having having a heart attack of that, I thought that one of the funnier characters in this film, even though he he he's incidental and he only shows up in like maybe like two scenes, was the. Uh, the 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 man for the actual like like tower where he's just like five euro and it's like it's just like four four ninety eight it's like five euro and it's like do you like your job are you satisfied with your job very and then and then Ray finds this character Harry tries to like pay him off like a hundred two hundred dollars crumples it up and throws it in his face and then he's like tapping his forehead just taps his forehead we are clo- and it's like holy shit like, even, even Brendan Gleeson like walks away and smirks <laughs> and starts shaking his head like mm-hmm. yeah speaking of uh, physical tappings uh 
one of the hardest I laugh also in this movie is when when Ray goes over to the dwarf of the prostitute when they're making out in the corner of the bar. When he starts tapping him on the side of the head to get his attention and instead of like talking to him like a regular person, it is one of the most condescending things I've ever seen. Yeah. But I, I laugh every time because yeah. it's so ridiculous. Because also... Like, you understand, too, because he's hurt that he didn't acknowledge, you know, him waving. Why didn't you acknowledge me? <laughs> and then, but he was on a horse tranquilizer. Yeah. And, oh, boy. The only people I'd be talking to is nobody and horses. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But, um... So, uh, with that being said, horse tranquilizers and all, yeah. uh, let's go to final ratings, as uh, I think we're all going to have pretty high praise for this film. So, I guess I'll start. Uh, I'm a fan of this, even though I wouldn't necessarily say it's like a, a perfect film for me, and even one that I would give like a magnificent rating. I still give this a very good rating of four out of five, and uh, I think I probably will even give it a little bit higher after one more viewing. But this is definitely a film that I liked up front, and I would like even more because it's definitely a grower. Uh, it's it's just a really well put together film that I feel like I would be hard pressed for anybody who has the sense of humor like I do and likes the kind of movies that I do to, to not like, like this has just got a lot of things for me personally to latch onto. And I feel like a lot of people to be interested in and, and for people like, like me who like gangster films, like this is right there for you for dark comedy and for vulgar comedy. Like this is just hitting all of it on the head. And it also has a absolutely, terrifically written story and is just a um a beautiful looking film so four out of five for me for in bruges it may be going up even higher down the road but uh i really can't recommend this enough because it's just a it's just a really well put together film and um colin farrell put on a really good performance like that is not something you see every day well i think this is a clear example that american uh movie makers don't know what to do with colin farrell because i think he's fantastic but he just gets typecasted in either bad movies or boring roles yeah Mm -hmm. or total recall true detective season two yeah (laughs) moving on to (laughs) nick yeah, this is one of my all-time favorite movies, and it's been that since the very first time I viewed it. Uh, it's basically, it is what I would call a perfect movie in the sense that there's nothing in this movie I think is unwarranted or uh, unnecessary. Like, everything in this movie fits together, and it somehow pulls off two of the hardest things to pull off, in my opinion, uh, simultaneously, which is dark comedy and a extremely vivid beating heart at the center. Um, this is just fantastic performances all around it, it's even a movie like i said earlier that makes me notice his score even the very incidental characters like the co-owner of the hotel the yes. pregnant woman got to mention that uh who has the awesome scene at the very end where she's like just get the fuck out of my hotel if you're gonna shoot at each other and they're both like all right yeah like <laughs> you have these these two honestly pretty much horrible people even though ray finds is obviously like legitimately a bad person and, and ray is just kind of stuck in this weird place where he's somewhat a hitman but is kind of just a confused person and yeah they're just both like this this woman pregnant woman tells them this and they're just you know both like okay not to mention very interesting part of the story yeah not to mention uh something i was going to mention earlier which is that she's essentially her subplot i don't want to call it that but i don't know another word to describe it but i said her involvement in the movie is even set up through a background gag which is the uh the, the message, the phone message, where she has a retort in written yes. form, which is that uh, Harry calls her a receptionist, and in writing she writes, "I'm not the receptionist. I'm actually the co-owner with right. my husband." So which is from great. there, from a moment, from like just from her writing, we already know that she's a woman who's going to stand up for herself. Mm-hmm. And so when that actually gets paid off, it's just all these little details. I actually have to say too about reading that letter when Brendan Gleeson is reading it and hearing Harry's voice going through it, and the like speed in which he reads it and then the way it goes straight from the last word of the final sentence to the name Harry and that happens Harry like just I <laughs> yeah. don't know every time because I've seen it twice but both times I just cracked up at that for some reason just because it's just so ludicrous like that's just not how the brain works in my brain but yeah. it's just the way it works here is just so funny and it just works yeah way but yeah she Agreed. actually is a small side character who's even has some sort of a moment in this yes. film uh, was was great. Yeah, and like I said earlier, I think 
the performances across the board are fantastic. I think Colin Farrell is the best part of this movie performance-wise, and yet you know you're in good hand with somebody like Ray Fiennes when he can somehow build up a character off-screen uh, as well as he does <laughs> until he has to actually show up. Like, he's already arrived fully formed because of his voice work. Like, that's pretty damn good. Um, I think everything about this is great from the score to uh, the photography of this movie is fantastic. Uh, even the lighting has got this kind of golden hue to it. Uh, mixed in... Almost like a little bit of fog in there. Yeah. yeah. I think that's fantastic. And at, at the forefront, and the reason why I love this movie is something I've kind of mentioned before, like... I mentioned before that I like one-room movies, and that's almost misleading in the sense that I do love one-room movies. But specifically, a lot of one-room movies are stage plays adapted into uh, movies, and that's what I actually like. specifically love. It's not so much that it has to be set in one room, even though I, I do get a kick out of that, but I love movies that are written as a stage play. And I'm not saying this is written as a stage play because this is clearly like there's a lot of exterior location and there's a lot of kinetic energy and stuff that you probably can't do on on a stage. But this is totally a playwright's script. And that level of detail, uh, both on a character level and on a linguistic level, is just fantastic. And and those are the kind of movies that I'm drawn to above all else. And this is like the cream of the crop of that genre so to speak so this is a five uh, star movie for me which is kind of a rarity here on film ting uh for me uh and so i just cannot uh love this movie more than i do i really enjoyed this film i really want to rewatch this film just because i feel like there are a lot of things that i feel like went over my head for an initial viewing but like i feel dwarf. like yeah, like the dwarf. I'm sorry. Um, but I really did overall really enjoy this film. I think that I remember before we actually started recording, um, Nick reminded me that uh, the playwright who wrote and directed this film, Martin McDonough, Martin McDonough, he directed uh, Seven Psychopaths, another film that, that, yes. that um, Nick actually recommended to me. And he said that it was it skewed more along the lines of one of my favorite films that we've actually like reviewed on film tank before, which is kiss kiss bang bang. And that ultimately reminded me of what watching in Bruges really reminded me of, which is the film, uh, gross point blank with, uh, John Cusack oh, yeah, in that yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of a similar premise, not, not in its conceit of it being about purgatory or being about a meditation on faith or about redemption or anything like that. And even not even the same level of crassness, but simply for the fact it's, it, it it's these, like gross point blank is about these two assassins who end up coincidentally being within like the same like small idyllic suburban town and end up by the third act just like going all at it and just like shooting up a place and just like destroying everything set against this very quiet picturesque like 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 little pocket of reality which i feel like that kind of like similarly plays into like in the the third act of in bruges where it's like harry versus ray or like or Harry versus uh, Ken, and it's all set apart this little Disneyland like fantasy world and stuff like that. So I really enjoyed that because Gross Point Blank is one of my favorite films as well. Um, so I'm going to have to give this a four out of five. I really can't wait to actually like watch this film again because I feel like echoing uh, Alex's sentiments. Like I feel like this is a film that's going to breathe. I feel like it's going to grow. I feel like I'm going to get a lot more out of this film. And honestly, like I'm excited for that. So. Yeah. First film in a while to make it on the hit list. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've I mean, forgotten that it even exists. That's right. We got that thing. Sort of. Mm, yeah. It has been updated in a while. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. I'll, I'll maybe, look at that. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe we'll do that around episode 100. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, yeah. High praise from all of us for the film in Bruges. Again, you can find it on Netflix. Uh, Toussaint, just a couple minutes ago, brought up Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is one of his all-time favorite films. Oh, yeah. And uh, the director of that film, Shane Black, uh, has a new film coming out uh, next week. He does? And and that is called The Nice Guys. I can't wait. (laughs) Did you actually not know that? Actually, I did. I was being facetious. Okay, good. I I was going to say, I wasn't sure there for a second, because sometimes, I don't know you. I'm really good at being facetious. (laughs) <laughs> sometimes you just You're don't. A little too good. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes people <laughs> just don't know. 
Anyways, if you have not seen the trailer for The Nice Guys, uh, the, the first trailer was good. The second trailer that came out for this was really funny um, and has me interested in a film that I already was, was on board for. Uh, and this film stars Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe uh, about a private eye investigating an apparent suicide of a fading porn star in 1970s Los Angeles. So... It's it's a film that I, I think we all are interested in seeing. Shane Black directed it, and he's done great work already with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I loved Iron Man 3. He did really well when given a chance with Marvel. Uh, and I, I'm really looking forward to this film, and I think we're really looking forward to doing a review on it next week. So if you want to find that, you can find it along with all of our episodes at filmtankshow.com or on iTunes. And if you uh, want to let us know what you thought about In Bruges or any other film we reviewed, you can always find us at filmtankshow at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow. From Nick Cheney, Tuzan Egan, myself, Alex Diegman, as always, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time. On Raglan Road Of an autumn day I saw her first and knew that her dark hair would weave a snare that I might one day rule. I saw the danger and I passed along the enchanted way And I said, let grief be a fallen leaf At the dawning of the day On Grafton Street in November, we tripped lightly along the ledge Of a deep ravine where can be seen The worth of passion's pledge The queen of hearts still making and I'm not making hay Oh, I loved too much And by such, by such Is happiness thrown